Well, what a game to talk about here on a lovely Thursday evening, Gary. This is a... <laughs> What a difference between winning and losing a game like this. Mm -hmm. I'm in a joyful mood, and uh, um, we got lots of uh, lots of good things to talk about. I think some concerns, as there is after every game. But uh, let's just start with the obvious, Gary. How in the world did this team find a way? When we get to Peyton Sanford in a second, I think he was been spectacular down the stretch. But how did this team gut out a win tonight in a game where they struggled to get stops all night long? Yeah, it just goes to show you, you got to play every possession right to the very end. I, I think they're down seven with a little over two minutes to go. It didn't look very good. Um, but they got some stops there when they needed to and and uh, took advantage of a couple of, uh, I guess I'll call them dumb plays by Michigan and made some big shots and got it into overtime. You felt pretty good once you got into overtime that maybe they could uh, pull one out. That's exactly what they did, so. Huge win. Really, really impressive win. Well, you may have felt pretty good going to overtime, Gary, but, uh, you, you know, you have identified me as an internal pessimist, which is probably the case with Iowa basketball. <laughs> I did not feel very good. because You know what I started thinking? I started thinking, boy, we're on the verge of being two and four and having two of those four losses be overtime losses. I'm thinking back to the Wisconsin game and, and home overtime losses. So I, I'm, I'm sure that's not what was going through the minds of the players, but that was what was going through my mind, and what a start to uh, jumpstart overtime. I mean, you get out to a quick start, and you get a couple stops. Again, those elusive stops that had been evading them all night long. What did you see from Iowa defensively those first few minutes of OT? Well, I think they just uh, they just did a better job of covering people up, whereas in the uh, in, in the regulation time, they just they got lost sometimes and just left people just wide open and. And then uh, you, know, you get on a roll and you think everything can go in. And that's kind of what, what it looked like in the uh, two halves. I thought the, you know, how Michigan lost their lead in regulation, that, that's a hard thing to come back from. You know, the, the loss to Wisconsin was a pretty tight game all the way down. And Wisconsin's a little more, more of an experienced team. At, uh, Michigan, uh, I thought that might, might affect them losing such a big lead so fast. And, um, and then, like you said, getting a couple quick buckets early. Now it's now it's getting even worse, and and uh, it kind of snowballed on them. All right, let's take a moment to to talk about Peyton Sanford. And I'll tell you, Gary. Um, again, we mentioned this during our our conversation with Jess Settles the other day, but uh, you and I had, had so many conversations. But what do you do with Peyton Sanford? How do you get him going? Do you bench the kid? He was zero for twenty to start Big Ten play. I mean, you look at the the official box score and stat sheet. He took over the second half. I mean, he had big shot after big shot. You think about the four point play. You're down four with under a minute to go. He hits a three, gets fouled, knocks down the free throw. Nothing but net. You go to overtime. I don't know that we've seen a more impressive shot than the the shot at the end of the shot clock where Chris Murray launches a three that's an air ball. It's Peyton Sanford gets his feet taken out from under him composed, hits the shot off the glass, gets fouled, hits the free throw. I mean, what do you, what do you say about Peyton Sanford? Well, it's just that it's great to see if you, you know, you felt for him when he was struggling. I think the other interesting thing was that he didn't play particularly well in the first half in terms of shooting. And in the past, that's usually been, uh Oh, you know, he misses a couple all of a sudden it's, he misses a bunch, but he um, came back in the second half and was phenomenal. So that's a real good, that's a real good sign. That's a big step that, uh, he, um, 
you know, he got he got through a uh, an average first half and had a great second half. So uh, didn't let it, didn't let it get to him first. And Kim uh, rightfully brings up the play of Josh Dix, who just continues to get more and more minutes. He, he seems to to me to be a fearless kid. He's not afraid of taking the big shot in the big moment. Um, you know, you saw him. I don't know how many boards he had, but as Kim brings out uh, five assists on the night. He's earning more playing time, Gary, and we can talk about the struggles of, of Tony Perkins later. I feel for for Tony. He's got to get going. I think this team's a lot better when he's playing as we know he can play. But just talk about the freshman right now. Yeah, he just uh, continues to get better and better. He, like you said, he's he's playing with a lot of poise. He handled the ball a lot uh, tonight under a lot of pressure, and you know it didn't seem to bother him. He was he he was fine. He did hit a couple big shots, especially in the first half, and. And uh, coach went with him uh, all the way down the stretch and into the overtime. So that's got to give him. That's also got to give him a lot of confidence, and and uh, it's good because that's another another kid to add to the mix that was a pretty thin lineup. So um, really, uh, really impressive to see. I normally talk about this towards the end of our show, but Mark brings it up in the bench. Uh, we, we mentioned Josh Dix. How about Peyton Sanford, who? was starting earlier in the year, and perhaps he'll end up being a starter again, but perhaps he's better off the bench, Gary. But you look at uh, the the bench numbers for Iowa. Uh, you got Sanford playing 33 minutes. He was perfect from the free throw line, 404. Four of nine from three, nine of 17 overall, 26 points. Uh, just one short of Iowa's leading scorer, which, of course, is Chris Murray with 27. Josh Dix had 10 points, three rebounds, five assists. DeSante adds six minutes. And how about Riley Mulvey with 13 uh, minutes. We didn't really talk about him, but he did play against Rutgers as well. Um, I think part of that, Gary, is is need, right? Uh, Josh Gundle yeah. is out, and and there's some guys who aren't playing great, and it's given Riley an opportunity. And I I think he's held his own. Just your thoughts on Riley Mulvey? Yeah, I, I thought he did too. Yeah, it, uh, it was the first game that Philip got into a little bit of foul trouble, and uh, they needed him to play some minutes. And between the two of them, they kept. Um, they kept Dickinson under control. He didn't, uh, you know, he had a double double, but it wasn't a back breaking double double. And uh, so they, um, you know, they almost equated him, which uh, going in, you probably thought Dickinson had, a, had an advantage. And uh, and I thought the same thing with uh, Phillip as I did with uh, Sanford. He got off to a little bit of a slow start, too. I think the, the size of Dickinson bothered him a little bit, uh, but he hung in there and had a much better second half. And and finishes with, I think, with another double-double, which is uh, getting to be a, a regular occurrence. All right, here's the deal, folks. We've got uh, StreamYard for calling into the show to ask Gary questions. we got a lot of people on here. we got to get 250 people uh, watching. And, of course, that number will continue to grow because it's a big win, and Iowa's on a three-game winning streak. So we're going to try to keep our calls relatively short. One, two questions tops, please. I uh, don't want to cut you off, but just for the sake of time, We've gotten about an hour here with Coach Close. And, uh, again, you can call by my by means of StreamYard. I dropped the StreamYard link in the live chat. It's also in the description. Um, you can also call. The, the phone line's currently busy. So let's get to our phone line. And, Gary, as you know, we never know what we're going to get on the phone line. So let's see what we got here. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for calling Iowa Postgame with Coach Gary Close, who's on the line. Let's go. This is Derek. Uh, what a win for the Hawkeyes, man. I am hard as fuck right now. All righty. Let's get to Ryan. Ryan, how you doing, sir? Hey, gentlemen. Um, 
I got to say, you know, Coach Close. The officiating was outstanding tonight. It actually <laughs> was. It actually was. And it was the last game, too. So not here to complain about that. Paul Sleesbag and Kirky Courtney had nothing to do with this game. I, I I didn't have a problem with the last game or this game. Um, I got to say, you know, I've kind of privately trashed Peyton Sanford recently, and I always kind of knew in my heart any chance to the NCAA tournament had to do, had to run through him, and we might be just getting that. You know, you lost a really good player temporarily in Patrick, and I I can't say enough for the kid. He he's done a fantastic job. And so when you and your BFF Greg Guard go to Panera Bread to have coffee, let him know they're gonna have problems in the coal center. Well, I don't know if I'm going to have coffee with Greg anytime soon, but if I do, I'll let him know. <laughs> All right. Put a lot of sugar in that coffee. And, you know, um, I got to say um, one thing, you know, Jet Howard had a terrible floor game, but it was unbelievable. I remember Jalen Rose as a freshman getting 31. You know, taunting the Iowa bench on every three-pointer in 92, I think it was. You probably know what I'm talking about. You know, he was a punk. And Howard shot like Jalen Howard. He did a fantastic job for us on zero rebounds, one assist, I think or maybe it's one rebound and no assists, I believe it is, and uh, two turnovers. But I want to give a shout-out to uh, Joan Howard. He didn't go Joe Cravenhoff, I think his name is, on anyone. He didn't hit anyone. And, you know, Peyton Sanford kicked their butt in overtime, second half and overtime. I kind of trashed the kid and – I, I got to tell you, Crow never tasted so good. <laughs> so, well, yeah. uh, but besides Corey wearing, I don't know, are those Wisconsin colors or, or Rutgers colors? I'm not sure. At least he's not wearing maize and blue. Um, I just, you know, want to let, please let your buddy Greg know that uh, he's he's going to have a handful when we come to the Cole Center. Are we, are we coming to the Cole Center? Is that on the schedule this year, Gary? Uh, yeah, late in the year. Okay. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. I was and like uh, you know, I know, I know, you guys are, you know, probably exchanging Christmas gifts, <laughs> but uh, I don't like the guy. I just don't. Nothing against you, Gary. And the last thing I'm going to say is uh, I think, you know, we I know we've talked about this before. Mike Street sent me a private message yesterday. Um, if you look at my Facebook 
posts and all that. I'm a, I'm a diehard Chris Street guy. And I don't know what it was like losing when you had to coach against the 20-year anniversary. And thank God you don't have to do it now. But I saw the trailer. I know it's a hard thing for you. And, um, you know, uh, the 18th after the Northwestern game is going to be pretty rough for all of us. It always is. I cry every time I think about him. Um, yep. I, I I hate Wisconsin, no offense, but I love you, Coach Close. And, Corey, <laughs> you're awesome. Except for wearing Wisconsin. Except for you know, listen, I'm all, can I just finish that real quick, Gary? I'm awesome except for when Iowa loses. Then I suck. No, you never suck. Bottom line, it, I have never, ever, is. I've never dissed you, Corey. Come all on. Right. All right. And you know I, what? Even though you wear officiating gear once or twice, you're not officiating these games. And I've never dissed you, man. Like, you're, you're, you're the best in the business. And appreciate yeah, Coach Coles, Coach Patterson, man, I really appreciate all that you both do. And you know, uh, I don't I, I doubt you're gonna have a post game call after the Northwestern game because it's gonna be over and then it's gonna go into the Chris Street special, but you know, uh, the nineteenth is gonna suck. It's going to suck for all of us, damn it. We got another game Love to win. You guys. On, got another game yeah, to win on Sunday. Appreciate the call, Ryan. Thank you, sir. Thanks. You bet. So Mark uh, in our chat here says, I think the odds of Iowa not making the big dance are slim and none now, and slim just left town. So that's an old Hayden Fry expression, Gary. You probably know that. What do you guys oh, yeah. think? Yes, I know it's still early. I, I, I am not going to go that far, Gary, because uh, Iowa dug itself – a bit of a hole with losses to Eastern Illinois. And then of course the road loss to Nebraska. So I'm certainly not going as far as Mark is. And I, I find with Mark being excited about the three game winning streak and certainly the win tonight, your thoughts a few weeks ago, you told me Gary, and eh, right now this is not a tournament team. If the tournament started right now, it would not be a tournament team. Where do you stand now? Well, they're heading in the right direction. Uh, there's a lot of basketball left to be played and this league has been topsy turvy all year long. I, you know, tonight, Ohio State loses at home to Minnesota, who hasn't won a game. Um, and so uh, I think the I think you just got to – I know it sounds cliche, but I think they just got to take one game at a time. And it'll be interesting to see these next two games they're supposed to win, and uh, they got to take care of business because both teams are capable of beating them. Um, and as uh, as we've seen in a lot of games in the league this year. So a little – probably a little too far away to go to, to – uh, claim that yet but uh they're definitely headed in the right direction but by the way just side note there's something wrong with ohio state it seems like ever since that loss to purdue where they completely blew that game the final minute and they had that game almost on lock and ever since they lost three straight gary yeah uh, yeah yep they're so, um and that's a pretty good basketball team and a couple of them have been at home so it's um you know, it's you know Northwestern has, has won some games. Had a chance to win another one last night and kind of slipped away against uh, you know against a good Rutgers team. So this is uh, this is a very very even league, and uh, you got to be ready to play each and every night. 
Yeah, I said that to somebody earlier today, a good friend of mine. I said, after Purdue, this league is wide open. Now, maybe Michigan State is your clear number two. That will play out. We'll see. But I think after at least those top two teams, this league is wide open. There's no reason to think Iowa couldn't finish third if you can continue to uh, play the way they're playing, especially in the offensive end. And, and Peyton Sanford, man, that guy's been been huge. Let's get to our next call. Thank you for calling Iowa Post Game with Coach Gary Close. Who's on the line? Hey, Corey. It's uh, Ryan from McGregor. How are you guys tonight? Good. How are you? Good, I'm doing really well. Hey, Coach, I got a question for you. It seems like um, <clears throat> we've gotten pretty lucky here. Um, I don't want to use the word luck in the in a wrong way, but uh, advantageous maybe is the right word, something like that. But our defense, we we've just seemed to do the right thing at the right time. Um, it's it, it started sort of with Indiana. We we kind of shut them down with our zone, and we did the same thing at Rutgers. And I thought it was pretty interesting that tonight when Michigan was, was trying to dominate on the inside, we we just shifted into that zone at the right time. And then we were getting killed on the perimeter. And then we would adapt from that and go into a man-to-man type coverage. And it just seemed to me that I was been striking it rich at alternating their defenses at, at the at the right time with the right personnel. Is that am I hitting that quite right or am I off base here? No, I think that's I think that's probably true. I think um I think coach has done a good job. I think he realized um uh, you know with the lack of depth that uh, the zone wouldn't uh wear him out as much. Might keep him out of foul trouble. Uh you know they won't get in foul trouble because of obviously the depth. And, uh, you know, you get into a situation where teams are not effective from the outside, then the, the zone looks really good. Tonight, Michigan got hot. They got some open looks, and then all of a sudden it just got onto a roll and forced them out of it. And then they got enough stops, especially in overtime, to win the game. Um, it didn't look good with two minutes to go. And, you know, if they hadn't pulled it out, then you probably would have looked right at their defense with the number of threes they gave up. I think that's the biggest concern. You just can't give that many threes up and – I would guess most of them came against the zone, but um, they're playing well enough to go along with you know a good offensive effort to get wins. I think they're going to have to they're going to have to shore that up as the competition gets even better and you get on the road. Yeah, I thought it was interesting to also to see the personnel shifts that he made. I mean, I I love I like this um, Mulvey or whatever however you pronounce his name Mulvey. Mm-hmm. You know, did a, I thought a really good job on the interior. He, he was just enough of a force to kind of contradict Michigan's inside game. They had a height advantage. But um, when I used the word luck to start this out, I, I kind of thought, uh, and thinking back to Indiana and Rutgers, that is, is it that we're unique in that we feature the, the zone defense? I mean, I don't watch or do a lot of analysis of other Big Ten schools and how they operate as far as their offenses and defenses is, is, is Iowa's zone sort of problematic for a lot of these schools because they don't see it as much or what? Um, well, I, I think, I think that's partly true. I think that, you know, the big 10 is generally a man to man leg. There are a few teams that'll, that'll mix in some zone. I think they've gone to zone because of their lack of depth and then it's worked. And sometimes, you know, you talk about luck, sometimes luck is, is okay. You know, he guy gets a wide open shot. He doesn't make it. And you watch him play a game the next day and he's wide open and he buries it. So there's some, you know, there's some, there's some luck involved uh, for sure. Um, 
but they've you know they've gotten enough stops um, to win games, and that's you know that's you know their often you know puts more pressure on their offense, but their offense has been good enough. So um, the question will be is when they go up against good defensive teams that can hold them down a little bit more than Michigan or Indiana, will they be able to get enough stops at their end to give them a chance to win? Because uh, both Indiana and Michigan tried to outscore them, and and they weren't able to do it. Right. Yeah, I was kind of wondering about that, whether it's just the matchups that we've had and we've kind of gotten lucky that way, or whether when we get a, you know in, in deeper into the Big Ten schedule, we're going to be more exposed for the very reason you just said. Our, our philosophies are different, if you will. Yeah, yeah. But, um, well, we were exposed a little bit tonight, for sure. I don't know how many threes they end up making, but it had to be close to 15. Oh, Michigan shot incredible. I, I mean, that that will, that'll usually get you beat. Uh, yeah, they shot twelve of thirty from three. Twelve of thirty from three. So that's they just didn't even well, seem like they could miss. I mean, it was just incredible. And you didn't normally Iowa when they win like this, you know, they'll they'll do it in transitioning. You know, they get the they get the rebound and then they can mm-hmm. transition quickly. And tonight, Michigan was just shooting incredibly from the right. perimeter. And I, I thought, oh boy, you know, are we going to be able to match that? And Jen Howard had a great game. I mean, you know. It, w- it was really hard to see anybody losing this game tonight because both play- both teams played so well, and it really was. I mean, I mean, I'm I sure kind of like Ryan's sentiment. I mean, with uh, <laughs> other other schools or whatever, but um, it, it is disappointing when you see even a team like Michigan play that well lose. But I mean, we're Hawkeye fans, and we needed to win desperately, especially at home. So. It, that was good. Um, I look forward to watching this Chris Street uh, program. Um, I, I I was living out of state when all that happened, and I really didn't know that much about Chris Street. I didn't I didn't really know if he was going to be something like the Murray boys, you know, a potential NBA stars. Um, I I'm really curious to see that program and why he is so well loved. Um, I guess I'll figure that out when I watch it, but uh, I, I certainly hope that Gary Bart is smart enough to know that we've done a lot to retire Luca Garza's Jersey. I'm sure hoping there's some thinking going into that for Keegan Murray. Um, I think he, you said at the last show, I didn't get to call in, but that we're really witnessing something very special in Iowa with these two boys, Murray boys. And I'm sure hoping that doesn't fall through uh, the cracks at Iowa because these guys need to be recognized. Um, Keegan for already what he's done and Chris for what he's doing is I do think it's a very special moment in time. And the only time I can think of somebody like that is Connie Hawkins. But that didn't end so well, but anyway, um, I'll, I'll, I'm on too long, so I'll let you guys go. But thank you for the questions, Coach. I, I was just curious about that with regards to our philosophy of whether or not that's just work for us against Rutgers, Indiana, and Michigan tonight, mm-hmm. or if we're going to be able to sustain that throughout the rest of the Big Ten. So I guess we'll have to wait and see. But it was yeah. a great win tonight and a great game. Thank yeah. you. Thanks Appreciate for the call. Always. Thank you. I think the other interesting thing, and we've talked about it before, is – the ability to uh, 
you know, not make dumb fouls and be, being smart on the defense. And that's one thing that zone will do is it'll keep you, can keep you out of foul trouble. And, you know, Michigan made a huge foul on Sanford to basically tie the game up. And then uh, Iowa had two fouls to give at the end of the regulation and used them both. So Michigan couldn't get a clean look in the last possession. And so if they'd have been in the penalty already, they wouldn't have been able to have done that. And, uh, and that was a key possession that Michigan did not get any kind of a look. And now the game's going into overtime. You got a chance to win it. Before I give our sponsor a plug, Gary, do you, do you always like that philosophy from a coach to foul in that situation when you have fouls to give? Yeah, I, I think in that, especially with, you know, the, the difficulty of stopping them anyway, um, and with two to give, uh, you know, as long as you work on it and understand it, no, they you couldn't have, you couldn't have asked for any better result. They didn't even they got they got no chance of making that shot. Whereas I think if there had been a possession, they probably would have gotten a better look. Now, whether they made it or not, who knows? But they eliminated that by, by being able to foul. And of course, the fear for me in that situation. I'm not saying I don't agree with that, <laughs> but the fear for me as a fan is, you know, if a guy gets up in the act of shooting, you know, James Harden esque. Uh, all of a sudden, you can give the game away at the line. But mm -hmm. they executed it well, and that's something, you well. that's something you practice, correct? Well, for sure. Yeah, you, you do that a lot. Yep. Yeah, you got to you got to work on it so when the time comes, you feel a little more comfortable being able to execute. Want to remind everybody, please take a moment to share this uh, show out on social media. Whether we're talking Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Snapchat, whatever you, uh, wherever you social media, it does help the show to grow. And, and we want to get out to as many Hawkeye fans as possible. Uh, I can speak uh, from a very biased perspective, Gary. I think this is the best Hawkeye show on the internet. Uh, so want everybody to, to uh, have a chance to join in. And of course, want to thank our sponsor as always, Brad Van Meter and his team down at State Farm in Des Moines. Visit him online at bradvanmeter.com. Brad is serving people from border to border in the state of Iowa with talking renter's insurance, auto insurance, home insurance, whatever we're talking about, he will help you and get you a good quote and get you an idea. Can he save you some money? Perhaps you're paying too much on your insurance premium. Give Brad and his team, his small team down in Des Moines, a call at 515-256-6480. And thank you to Brad Van Meter for supporting this show, sponsoring it throughout the season. Um, a couple things from our uh, from our chat Kells Bells does want to know what has happened to Perkins and Euless. And I think maybe the focus should more so be on Perkins. Euless, Aaron has struggled to score consistently. Uh, we think even the Iowa State game where, you know, this team probably is their best performance of the season. And he struggled mightily in that game, especially turning the ball over. But Perkins, boy, Tony, quick start to the season. He was a big part of those road wins at Seton Hall, home win against Iowa State. He's in a funk right now, maybe somewhat similar to, to Peyton Sanford's funk earlier. What do you do with Tony Perkins? Well, I think you just do what you did with Sanford. You just you try to ride it out and hope he'll play himself out of it. Um, you know, it's a different year, and, you know, he's he's higher up on the scouting report than he was last year. So he's he's going against better defenders. Um, you know, he's he's got more responsibility. And uh, this is all a part of the learning process. You're always learning and trying to get better, even if you're an older player. And he hasn't been able to take that next step to, um, you know, to, to move up the chain, so to speak, and handle more responsibility and go against better defenders and, and things like that. So hopefully that'll come. You know, he just, he's, he's a good player and, and uh, we need him. And um, hopefully, you know, with time he'll, he'll play himself 
out of uh, how he's playing now because he's, you know, he's certainly shown bits and pieces of it or even more than that. And, and uh, so he's, he's certainly a capable player that hopefully uh, he'll get it going. All right. Um, let's get to our next caller on hold here. Thank you for calling from the Hawkeye of the Storm. Who's on the line? Zach. How's it going, Corey? Hey, Zach. Doing good. So you know this call to no shenanigans. <laughs> no shenanigans. I know your voice. <laughs> uh, big, big win by the Hawks. Big minutes by Dixon Mulvey. Um, whenever Patrick comes back, and I know you you guys have said this on this on the on shows before. You know, I commend Patrick for being very open and honest with what he's dealing with. How dangerous can this team really be with if if Riley, if Riley can play significant minutes like he did tonight? Gary. Well, we've talked about it. You know, the, the more depth you can add, you know, the, the better chance you've got because injuries can happen, uh, foul trouble can happen. And, uh, you know, we've been surviving with a very thin bench. And and uh, to see these guys step up and give us some quality minutes is is good. And hopefully they can continue to do that. It's, um, it's one thing to do it once. It's another thing to be able to do things back to back and so we'll have to wait and see as far as that goes. But um, the trend is the trend is good. It's, it's we needed we needed everybody tonight to contribute, and and we had some good contributions off the bench. Yep. Is there what what is the exact injury to Gundelay? Is it ankle, knee? I think I saw him in a boot when I was there against Indiana or something like that. I thought I heard it was a knee, but I'm I'm it's, not it's, exactly it's sure. Knee. It's knee. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> And last question: If you were, if if either one of you were friend, would Josh Dix be starting next game, or he still would still be going kind of with the normal starting lineup and having all of them come off the bench, kind of giving that spark again? Well, I think you know uh, that's a good question. I think when you win, you probably don't like to change up a whole lot of a whole lot of things. Uh, so I would guess the lineup will be the same. Um, and with freshmen, you like to bring them along steady and and uh and sometimes it's better to to watch what's happening for a few minutes from the bench and get yourself settled in and then uh i think i think sanford has shown that i think he's played better coming off the bench that he has starting so some players are like that so i doubt they'll change anything but we'll have to wait and see and just real quick my take on this gary and and (laughs) pass these things through you because you're a coach and you understand these things Mm -hmm. firsthand but you know, with Sanford, you you bring him to the bench. He's a he's a shooter, right? You bring him to the bench, and he's found his way from the bench. But not, I, I would guess that not everybody is the same. And you you run the risk if you bench Tony Perkins, you run run the risk of shattering his confidence. Is that fair to say that not you can't treat every kid alike? What what worked for Peyton Sanford won't necessarily work for for Tony Perkins. Yeah, and I, I think you're exactly right, and and I think uh, Tony has um, played enough good minutes and had some big important roles that uh, you can't you can't give up on him that quickly, and and um, and you want him to know that hey he's got to feel good about these guys coming off the bench and playing well, and if and if you use that against them, then that can that can cause a problem. So I, I think they'll I think they'll continue to play him, and and uh, and hopefully he'll he'll improve. Um, but it's good to have guys behind him. that come in and play quality minutes because uh, you're going to need that. I think that's a fair point that uh, 
Tony yep. has given had given you really strong minutes early in the season, and up until recently, Peyton had not. Uh, right. Anything else, Zach? Yep. Nope. That's all I have. Uh, everybody, you know, like the show. Good talking to you guys. Have a great evening. Thank you, sir. Thank you. All right, folks. Uh, we got lots of people waiting on hold. Uh, in our, I should say, uh, in our chat, waiting on hold. And of course, we've got the phone lines uh, here. We've got Tony waiting on hold as well. I do. I don't want to forget about uh, some of the questions in our chat. I tend to wait to the end to get to those questions. So let's hit a couple of these now. Uh, Bob mm-hmm. wants to know: Do we find our starting guard court tonight in Josh and Peyton? And that, I think that was kind of answered, but by means of this last call, Gary, um, maybe don't fix what's not broken at this point. And, and here's the other thing: I mean, Josh Dix is not a point guard. Now, let's not kid ourselves. Yeah, and I think the other thing it's it's um, it's more important who's playing at the end, especially when games are on the line, than who exactly starts. Um, so I, I I don't foresee any kind of a change because we need everybody, and and probably the best thing to do that is to stay with that lineup until he totally plays himself out of it, which I don't think he's done yet. And the question here from Eric: How many minutes did Mulvey get? Thirteen, just about. Uh, even 13, 12.58 for the game. And he was two of two from the field. Uh, I, I know it's been limited minutes. You're not there every day in practice, Gary. And we, we talked about Riley earlier, but can you kind of assess what you see from him right now? Like on the floor, is he holding his own enough defensively? Is I mean, wh- how would you assess Riley at this point? We know his development has been slow. Yeah. Well, I love his spirit. I mean, uh, whether it's on the bench or in the game, the, the, the kid's into the game. Uh, he's not pouting. He uh, he's a great teammate, and so I'm sure his teammates are appreciating and enjoying him getting some success because he hasn't had any. Um, I thought when he was around the basket, he's pretty effective. You know, with his size and his length. Where he gets into trouble is when he's got to get out on the perimeter and guard people with his lateral quickness and things like that. But um, you, you can't uh, you can't fault his effort and his enthusiasm and and if he could, if he can do just that, uh, give some energy and and play solid and not make any huge mistakes, I thought he did a. You know, we played a lot of zone, but he he he, he hung in there well with a real good center inside, and and so his minutes were important. And it's uh, it's a small step, but a but a good step, and hopefully he can add to that. Now, now for a, a bit of a negative question, Gary, we've talked about the defensive struggles, and, and Iowa struggled all night to get stops. Um, Jet, and I have this. The reason I bring this up is not to be not to a negative agenda, but I have it written down here in my notes. Inability to identify shooters or hot man. Uh, it just seems like this is a trend, and I hear this people on social media. I think have a point. It seems like guys always have these coming out performances and nothing against Jet Howard. He's going to be a high draft pick. He's really good, obviously really good basketball player, but it does seem like Iowa has a tendency over the course of years and different rosters of consistently letting guys go off. And to me, they did not identify Jet Howard quick enough, soon enough or hard enough. And you continue, you give a guy confidence earlier. All of a sudden you're, you're midway through you, through the first half, you say, man, this guy's on fire. This guy's yeah. having the, the game of his career, the game of his season. Am I right in saying that? It seems like Iowa is slow to respond when a guy hip, hits a couple of shots early. Well, the first thing, you know, that's the risk you're on playing zone. You're, you're going to give up more open threes. And when they're not going in, the zone looks great. When they go in, 
Uh, it doesn't. And a lot of times teams get on rolls, like they get on rolls missing free throws. When they, they get on rolls when they get open looks. And part of it is adjusting. You know, you'll, you'll go into a game with a scouting report and this guy's shooting 28% from three and, okay, he's not that good. But, boy, if anybody gets on a roll – you know, we always said if he makes if he makes one, okay, he makes two, that's it. And we're, we're not giving him anymore. I don't care what his percentage is. You're, we're we're going to identify him. We're going to go over screens. We're not going to help us far off. Uh, we're going to have a hand in his face when he catches it. And um, regardless of what his shooting percentage is, and um, I think they have at times let guys get comfortable. And when they get comfortable and get confident, they're that much harder to guard. So when you say that, Gary? Another note I have here, so sick of Iowa going under screens. <clears throat> and I understand that there's a time and a place, right? But, you know, it's just uh, when we're talking about Buffkin or we're talking about Jet Howard, it seemed like over and over again, Iowa going under screens and giving these guys good looks. And and I give them credit, they're making the shots. But uh, I, and there was one late, and I don't have that written down, but there was a, a moment late in this game. I don't know, it, it might have been Jet Howard, actually, where Iowa went under a screen with just two, two and a half to go, and you're, I think, within three or four, and they give up a three. And that felt like the nail in the coffin. You said, you know, that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, I give them credit. <laughs> Again, they didn't stop and uh, found a way to make this a game. So uh, incredible. Uh, Dom wants to know a similar question what we got earlier. He says, Coach, what can the coaches do to fix Perkins? He was clearly checked out, wasn't involved in huddles, visibly quit on himself. Tony's a good kid. I'll, I'll speak for for Tony Perkins. He is a good, good character kid. Um, I have no doubt he's going through a slump right now. He'll be back. I, I, I just I, I think he's got too much uh, too much love for the game, too much love for this team, and he's too much good character, Gary. I think he'll be back. And once he comes back, once you get Patrick back, right, you get those both those guys back full strength. Whether we're talking mental or physical strength, uh, boy, you've developed some depth, right? I mean, I go back to football, Gary. When when guys go down with injury, it it gives you know I think of cornerback for Iowa. I'm kind of going off on a tangent now, but Iowa Nebraska football this year. T.J. Hall comes in uh, because of a depleted defensive backfield for Phil Parker's group. Gets burned on a couple plays, but he's going to be better in the long run because of that experience. And I'd say the same thing about Riley Mulvey, Josh, Sante Bowen. Am, am I right? You've seen this over the course of years in coaching. Well, that's why every minute's important, and whether it's you know, in a, in a, in a big time situation that Mulvey got minutes now, or if he's at the end of the game, when the game's, you know, decided all those minutes are important in getting experience and, and proving to the coaches that you should be out there. And, um, you know, as far as Perkins and, and Euless goes, that's where coaching comes in. You know, you, you, um, you know, you gotta, you gotta point out to him, Hey, what's going on here. And Hey, I got confidence, but you know, this is all about us as a group winning games. And I, I got to go with, the people I think at that time are going to give us the best chance to win. And, and you've got to be supportive. And I agree with the caller. He looked like he was, was uh, down in the dump, so to speak. And, and uh, which is understandable. And, but that's, you know, you gotta, you gotta take care of that. And he's, he's got to get involved. And I, and I'm sure he will. Um, Cause you're right. He, he's a really good kid, uh, but he's frustrated and um, we, we need him. And I think that's what the coaches will impress upon. Hey, we, we got to have you. Um, we got to have you involved, whether you're on the court or not. And that's what I liked about Mulvey. Uh, the same thing with Patrick coming back. You know, they, they've won three games without him, uh, and so he's got to he's got to be the same way. He's got eight, and he's done a nice job on the bench, but he's got to uh, he's got to be involved and work his way back in. And and uh, 
So the chemistry continues to develop, um, which is just going to make them a better team. So, you know, that's where coaching comes in for sure. All right, let's get to our next caller. Tony, welcome back to the show, Mr. Tony. Hey, hey, how you doing? I got hey, to make this, gotta make this real quick. Uh, full disclosure, I could only watch this on my iPad while I was traveling to family Christmas yet again in the middle of Minnesota. Um, so I'm just going to say one thing real quick. Uh, I think my five and zero prediction is uh, still on track. We're we're three and zero, right? It's it's heading in the right direction, Tony. <laughs> no, Tony, this is gonna make you feel important. I, I I've thought about you a couple of times in the last two games, so uh, we'll, we'll see. You got some work to do. Maryland's a good basketball team. Oh yeah. Uh, Northwestern is a really good. Ba- I mean, these two they got a, good, a stretch of winnable games, but boy, you win all of these. These are some impressive wins. So uh, they got some good teams coming to Carver. Yeah. I uh, just wanted to wish you guys well. Hope. Uh, you guys are doing well right now. I haven't got to watch the show. I just wanted to get a real quick call in, and I'll watch it later, and uh, we'll talk to you guys Sunday. Sounds Thank good, Tony. Thanks for the call. I think we may have a record here, Gary. Simultaneous listeners. And, of course, we have plenty of viewership uh, on demand. we got almost 400 people on right now. I, I'm not surprised by that because uh, this has been uh, – uh, quite a stretch for Iowa basketball. Appreciate everybody being here. And, of course, uh, the phone line is open, 515-635-1601, 515-635-1601. I knew this time was going to fly by, so I don't want to, again, forget our uh, our people in the chat. Barbara, thank you for reminding everybody. Please hit that like button. It does help us in the algorithm. Um, Dennis wants to know how many people in double figures. And to our caller who I'm answering, the caller I just answered the phone line. I'm going to put you on hold. We'll be right back with you. Um, as far as number of players in double figures, I can give you that uh, stat here. So Philip had 13, Chris had 27, Peyton had 26, Dix had 10. So that's four, uh, four guys in double figures. Uh, I certainly wouldn't. Uh, you wouldn't think if there was four guys in double figures that one of them would be named Josh Dix. But uh, again, d- just quite an effort for a young guy, and they need him. I mean, with Patrick out, Gary. Um, especially on offense, you just feel like uh, somebody needed to step into that that void. Uh, I know he's not really a three, which I think is net Patrick's natural position, but um, he kind of plays like a three. I mean, he's not he's he's not afraid to get in the basket. Uh, you no, know, not at all. Class, and he just seems like a smart player, and you can you can start to see why Iowa recruited him. And no doubt, I think he's got a bright future. You know the. The uh, injury that he went through was a brutal injury. Even playing now is is probably a, an unbelievable credit to his toughness and and his dedication. So, um, and Fran's got some confidence in him. You know, this is the second game where he has been playing uh, when the game's on the line down down at the end, and that's um, that's very revealing. So, um, it's one of the uh, hidden beauties of injuries or illnesses that somebody else gets a chance to get some minutes. And if they can take advantage of it, then maybe your team in the long run is going to be even better. And hopefully that'll be the case with Iowa that when they get Patrick back and get Tony playing better, that it's a deeper, tougher team to play. And that's what they're going to need as they, uh, you know, they come down the stretch here. Are you concerned right now? Chad brings up a valid point. Are you concerned with burnout for Chris Murray locked 45 minutes again tonight? He's playing a lot. Yeah, I think you're always concerned. I think a couple of those shots late, those air balls were definitely had some fatigue in there. But um, I don't know if there's a whole lot of choice. Uh, he's he's such a difference maker when he's on the court that uh, that the margin of error is so great. I just don't know if you can afford to sit him much. But 
maybe what you'll see a little bit is him them trying to get him out like right before TV timeouts, which isn't a bad idea. You know, there's 30 or 40 seconds for a TV timeout. You take him out and you set him for those 40 seconds and the timeout. And we used to do that with B.J. Armstrong. He ended up playing 36 or 37 minutes, but be out four or five times in a game and catch a break. So, um, but he's, you know, he's playing so well and, and the games are so tight that uh, I can see why he's playing the kind of minutes he is. All right. Pete says, am I, am I the only one who thinks that coach close looks like Billy Graham? <laughs> Billy Graham. <laughs> Have you had that one before Gary? No, that's the first. Okay. That's why I don't know that people, people all the time, people say I look like Ben Shapiro. I don't believe that's to be true at all. Uh, I think Ben Shapiro looks kind of weak. I'm not saying you know, he's obviously a very smart guy, but a uh, very intelligent guy, but I, I don't think he looks real. I think I'm more manly than Ben Shapiro. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad you think that. <laughs> oh, well, well, uh, yeah. So let's just move on from that subject. All right, let's get to our next caller uh, who's on the phone line. Thank you for calling Iowa Post Game with Coach Gary Close, who's on the line. Hey, Corey, this is RDHV. This is Dom. How are you doing? Good. How are you, Dom? I'm doing good. Uh, Coach Close, how are you doing? Uh, good to hear from you. I love the show. I've uh, called in on the football program before, but uh, haven't had the chance to call in for the basketball one. <laughs> well, we're glad you did. Thanks for calling. Sure thing. Uh, I was at the game. Uh, pretty stressful game, but very exciting win. Uh, I'll keep it short and sweet. Corey answered my question from earlier about uh, Perkins being uh, visibly shaken. Uh, hopefully he can get corrected. I agreed with you. Uh, I think it's a the coach's responsibility to get him back in there. Um, and I felt like, you know, hey, you've struggled, but we're going into overtime. Uh, and there's a chance we're probably going to need you in overtime too uh, at any point in that game. Um, so it's important he gets his mind right. Yeah, you got to be ready. Um, my other question was uh, if you've had a chance to uh, watch Maryland up to this point, and this question can go for uh, uh, both of you guys and uh, how they played to this point. I, I haven't had the chance to watch uh, any Maryland basketball. Yeah, you know, I really haven't either a, a ton. Uh, they, they were hot early, had some big wins, and then they got into the league and and have not fared nearly as well. So young team, athletic team, new coach, uh, dangerous team. I, I think uh, that, that's very, very comfortable saying that. And you, you worry about it when you come off so many uh, great wins that Iowa's had now. Can they – uh, put this one behind him, so to speak, and get ready to go against a team that's plenty capable of beating them. Uh, they've beaten some real good teams early in the year. So um, I think that's the way this league is going to be. Um, the teams that can move on, whether it's a win or a loss, and get ready for the next one are probably going to be the most successful teams. And a lot of times that's after great wins, not only bad losses. So I'll be curious myself to see how they play you know, after these terrific wins they've put back to back, um, can they put that behind them and and continue to play well? Yeah, I I, I appreciate your insight. Uh, oh, sorry, go ahead, Corey. No, no, go ahead. My my other question was: uh, uh, Do either of you earn the chance to start, or uh, do you still think it's about matchups for Fran at this point in the season? Like, is he more? focused on what that matchup looks like with the other team, or do you think he's going to consider the performances that Sanford's been putting on after a very 
he went through you know a real cold stretch, but lately it's been so hot it's almost hard to keep him off of the keep him off the court. I think Cody in our chat answers that question well. Fran has said many times that the starting lineups and who starts aren't that big of a deal to him. And Gary, you've kind of said the same thing, right? Who's closing for you? Who's logging more minutes? Uh, Sanford's getting the job done right now. Uh, why change things? Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I think uh, I think with him, you don't want to change much because it's, it's, whatever it is is working, and he'll get his minutes. It's just you know, it's, it's just a question of where they come. Yeah, I mean, he probably played – what did he play? He probably played 33, 34 minutes. He played starter minutes tonight, even though he didn't start. Yeah, 33 – good call. 33 minutes. Another yeah. check mark for Gary. 33 minutes played for, for Peyton Sanford. There you go. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't get too wrapped up on on who's starting. I'd probably be more wrapped up in minutes and then who's playing at the end when the game's on the line. Yeah, uh, that's kind of what I was thinking too. Uh and I apologize if these questions were answered earlier. I uh, joined a little bit late. I usually try to be here uh, before it starts, but whenever I'm at the games, I hop in a little bit later. But uh, I'll uh, I'll hang up and keep listening. Uh, uh, Coach Close, I just wanted to say I had the privilege to uh, play with uh, on some summer league ball for three or four years while uh, Dr. Tom was at Drake, and uh, I thought he was an amazing coach and a great mentor and a good man. And uh, his son uh, Kino was also a great coach. I was. My whole family was really disappointed when uh, uh, when Keno departed Drake for I think Western Michigan or no sorry Providence when Providence, he was yeah. that year. Yeah, uh, yeah so I have uh, great respect for you and uh, the Davis family and everything that they've done for basketball and uh, I'll hang out and keep listening, guys. Appreciate the show. Thanks very much. And yeah, Ray, uh, we've answered this question. I think Ray probably joining a little later, but does Fran start Sanford now? Again, I think we answered that a couple times, but uh, probably not. Why fix now? I, I just can't imagine, Gary, just knowing I mean, not only the logic that you just presented, but just knowing how Fran operates. I, I have a hard time imagining him going back to Peyton unless he really believes that you can. Uh, I mean, I suppose you can play, you, you can bench. Tony in favor of Peyton if you think that's going to spark Tony and give Peyton more opportunity but like he said 33 minutes played and he doesn't have to start um, I just think you, you're you're at risk of losing more with confidence for Tony Perkins of what he has left with confidence in Psyche than you are to gain from Peyton Sanford who these last two games has been maybe Iowa's best player if, if maybe second best player well you know Two weeks ago, they were wondering if some some people could get Sanford's minutes and put him deeper on the bench. Now he's hot. They want him to start. So I think one of the things that good coaches do is they stay consistent. They they're not up and down and pulling people out when they're not playing well and and you know ride the course out. Tony's got a track record. You know a little bit of a track record that he deserves. Uh, he deserves a little bit of free reign in terms of starting. And the same thing with Sanford in terms of continuing to get minutes. And fortunately, Fran stuck with him, and he paid him back eventually. And hopefully the same thing will happen with Tony. And I think uh, he's played well enough um, for the Hawkeyes both this year and last that uh, you got to hope that's going to happen. By the way, I'm fr- this is just a side note. Uh, I am fr- We talked about officiating. Fine officiating tonight. I do get tired of the there, – there is, I think, an inconsistency with technical fouls. Um, we saw – we've seen Philip Robracci, Connor McCaffrey get called for a couple of tees this year that have been weak, I think, at the at best. And you have Reed 
block a Rebracha shot and stare him down for, you know, eight to 10 seconds. And that didn't get called. I think there needs to be a little bit more consistency. Gary, I don't know if you've read much about the, the recent reports over the past few days that some Big Ten coaches have formally approached the Big Ten about officiating uh, because apparently there's been a consensus that it's been worse this year than in typical years. Do you have any thought process or thought thought on that, given the fact that there are some head coaches who are verbally upset right now? Yeah, not really. Um, you know, I'm sure they take the 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 course that they can take in terms of talking to the head of officials and the and the commissioner. And you know, they've got a better feel for it. I, you know, I, I've said it before. I, I kind of always reserve right to go back and look at the tape. And then from there, you know, make a decision. And I'm guessing that that's what these coaches have done. They've gone back and looked at it and said, now there, there are some significant uh, problems here that need to be addressed. Um, I always go back, you know, throw a light. And we, we played in the national championship game against Duke, and I thought the officiating was horrendous. Um, and uh, I went back and looked at the tape and – it confirmed what I had thought that it was, it was one of the worst officiated games for a national championship game. And so it happens. And, and uh, you know, officials are like players. They, they have bad games and when they do, and, and I think the fans should know that every game is evaluated. Um, there's a, there's a director of officials and he's got people under him and every game they go back and they go through the tape and they let people know what calls are good and what calls are bad in hopes that they'll improve, and they take input for the coaches. So these officials are constantly under the microscope, and they're going to make mistakes. When it gets to be repetitive and and more frequent, then it becomes a problem and sounds like um, some of the things that you're talking about. So it's certainly not a job I want, <laughs> I'll tell you what. Uh, but, um, you know, this league has always done a pretty good job of – of uh, you know evaluating officials and and uh, and that's why most officials in this country want to work the Big Ten. I mean the Big Ten gets gets the top officials because this is a league that's well thought of in terms of being a league to officiate in. The Indiana game was very poorly officiated. Can we agree on that? You ain't I, gonna, I, listen. You're not going to get fined now, Gary. <laughs> that's all in the, that's all I gotta go back and look at it. If I went back and looked at it, maybe I'll have time and I will. And then I, right. I'm telling you, I don't, I don't say anything more about officials until I look, I look at the tape well, because Woodson's been, I've been, Woodson's I've been, been wrong crying. more than Woodson's been crying about Fran, Fran going across mid court. He's been crying about that ever since that game. So I just want to say that because he, he's been making him, you know, he's brought it up two or three times now. He brought it up on a radio show. He brought it up in the post game press conference, which is fine if he didn't like the fact that Fran crossed half court. But there were some horrendous calls against Iowa in that game as well. By the way, did you think the goal? I know I love John Crispin. Great. I, I think he's one of the more underrated guys in the business, but I thought he was dead wrong on the goaltending call. I thought that ball got hit before. It hit the backboard tonight. Was that a, a good call on the goaltend? I know it got blocked after it hit the backboard, but I thought it got hit before as well. Did you see that replay? Yeah, I didn't really. I didn't get a. I get, didn't get okay. a good look at. It. Yeah. Right. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I have never been been a big fan of coaches bitching about the officials. I think it just looks weak. Uh, I think it looks looks like an excuse. They might be right, but they're better off spending their time worried about their team and then. You know, contact the leave of officials and do all that. What, what what do you gain by bitching in the public about the officials? It just looks like 
he's got enough problems worrying about his defense and turning the ball over and fouling. And uh, he, he should spend more time on that than, than, than on the officiating, at least in a, in a public uh, forum. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> to, to, to reiterate your point, uh, Brandon says, did Iowa break Indiana? They, they are a mess right now. Gary. And you don't want them to be a mess. You want it to be a good win once you hit uh, March, but uh, they have been on a slide. They were a team to pick to win the league. Yes, they were. Uh, and he just goes to show you uh, they haven't been there, haven't done it. And until you do it, <laughs> it's hard. And uh, that's why I, when that, when that came out, I said, oh, I'm not so sure about that. I know they got some talent. Now they do got some injuries, and that uh, that certainly hurts. But uh, this league is tough to win. All right, let's get to our next caller. Thank you for calling Iowa Post Game with Coach Gary Close. Who's on the line? Uh, this is John this evening, gentlemen. How are you, sir? I'm good. Uh, Peyton, he seems like his game gets going better when he steps inside the three-point line and starts shooting jumpers or even goes in the post. And then that seems like the success there carries over to the three-point line. Uh, am I right on that? Or? No, I, I think uh, I think that's a good point. I think um... – First off, as a scorer, you want to be able to score in, in all different areas of the court. If you're just a three-point shooter, then you're a lot easier to guard than if you're a guy that can attack the basket and have a little bit of a mid-range game. And I think the big thing with, with shooting is confidence. So if you can get some shots that you can make, then the basket looks a little bit bigger, and sometimes the percentages reflect that. So uh, I think he has done a better job in shot selection. I think he's done a better job of – attacking the basket and being more active. And I think that's helped him improve his percentages. Is, uh, is he turning sideways on his three point shots? It looks like he's turning sideways as he lets the ball go. Well, he takes a lot of shots, you know, flying off of screens. And so uh, those are not easy shots to make. And, you know, he's you got to pivot and turn. And so I think you're right. Sometimes it might look like he's a little, uh, not square it up as much, but a lot of it's just a reflection of the type of shots he's taken. All right, guys. Thank you. Have a good evening. Thank you. Thank sir. you. Boy, that caller set the, set the precedent, Gary, short to the point and, uh, there you go. All the questions. So, uh, <laughs> um, I do want to get to uh, the question here from Michael. Cause we are running out of time. He says, has coach close ever gotten a technical? Who was the ref? Yes, you did. You've told us this before you got technical on the bench. I don't remember what the game was, but do you remember who the ref was? I should remember. And I can certainly see his face. That's for sure. Um, I'll think about it, but, um, uh, it was, uh, it was at Indiana and, uh, we had played Indiana the year before, I think for the big 10 championship and we lost. And at the end of the game, we were pressing and uh, one of the Indiana players threw the ball and Brad Lyles face to, to not get a five second count against our pressure. And uh, it was a big hug of blue, no technical foul called, which should have been called. Uh, but anyway, there was addressed by the league that if that ever happened again, that a technical foul should be called. And kind of like we talked about before with, officials being evaluated well we go back the following year same thing happens we're in a tight game and they throw the ball off of kent hill's face and kent went right after him uh and got a technical foul and uh so that was two shots 
and the, the, the trailing official was walking by our bench, and I didn't even get up. I just said from the bench, boy, that's unbelievable. For the second year in a row, our guy gets hit in the face, and we get the technical foul, and the official turned around and says, yep, and you got one too. <laughs> <laughs> so we had two technical fouls. So they're up there shooting all kinds of shots, and Tom's going, what, 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 you know, what's going on here? What are all these free – so the referee comes over and he said, well, it was two technical fouls. He says, no, it was only one. I said, no, there was one on the player and there was one on that guy down there. And, of course, I put my clipboard over my head. But um, that was my one and only. <laughs> did did Tom did Tom rip you after the game or did uh, did you win? Did you win the game? No, no, we lost the game. No, we lost the game. Um, you know, j- just, just his look during the game was enough to okay. bring a lot of discipline, yeah. Was Tom Davis the type of coach that would take you aside after the game and and give you a, a, a talking to? Or I mean, obviously he was a calm guy during games for the most part. He did all of his instruction. Uh, you know, like I talked about with with the Indiana coach, not complaining about the officials in public. All of his, we'll describe constructive criticism was behind closed doors in a practice session or you know in an office or whatever the case like that and. I've always felt that's the way to do it. It's it's hard to get on guys during the game because you know they're they're all wrapped up and they're nervous and you want to try to keep them as calm as possible. And you know, sometimes if it's a lack of effort, maybe you need to do it. But if they're playing hard and they're just struggling, you know, that's not the time to get on them. They they need they need to be boosted rather than torn down. But uh in terms of a teacher and a disciplinarian, I think he I think he did it exactly right. He, he you knew when you did something wrong. Uh, but it didn't necessarily have to be yelling and screaming. Um, he could say it in a very, very low voice and have more effect than if he if he actually screamed. So, um, but very, very fair. And I think players will tell you that Tom always told you the truth, and that's what players want. They want to be told the truth, and they can live with that. One thing I do appreciate, and I wasn't live during this. <laughs> One thing I do appreciate about stories from you and stories from Don Patterson is it seems like as different as Hayden Fry and, and Dr. Tom were, I know there was there were staunch differences in their personalities, but they both seemed to, from, from the stories that I've been told, they commanded the room, right? Like they, you respected both of them, maybe for different reasons. You feared displeasing them, and that's the kind of respect you want as a head coach, correct? Absolutely, and, and the, the the players knew that both in Tom's case and in Hayden's case, they had their back. You know, they weren't going to rip them in public. Um, you know, they were going to they were going to do that in, in private. And that what they were telling them was the truth. I mean, that, that's that's all players want. They want support and they want the truth. And as soon as coaches get away from that, you're, you're going to lose a team real quick because how, how can they trust you? I mean, they got to they got to have trust and faith in what you're teaching. And if you're not telling the truth, that just goes right out the window. All right. We've got Kyle on hold for our final caller of the night. I've got kind of a rapid fire series of questions for you, uh, Gary. Jordan says, uh, what happened with Ohio State tonight? I didn't watch that game. You alluded to it earlier, but yeah, dropping a game to Minnesota. And by the way, somebody ripped on Maryland earlier. Maryland did just come off a win against Ohio State. I know they're reeling. The Buckeyes are. Um, So I guess maybe two parts. Does that change your opinion of Maryland? Um, but also, does it change your opinion of Minnesota? Uh, and, and what's going on with, with Ohio State? Minnesota led that game from start to finish. Um, that was not a, you know, that was not a um, game they didn't deserve. I mean, they, they I don't know if I asked, I'm, I'm sure Ohio State led, but not much. Uh, at least when I was watching, they were losing. 
Um, and Iowa State had a hard time scoring. Michigan, or excuse me, Minnesota played really, really good defense, and it kind of got contagious with Iowa State. They just couldn't they couldn't put anything in. Uh, and so um, uh, Maryland beating Ohio State is that's a good win. And so I, I think it, what it tells you is when you go into a game against Maryland or Northwestern or anybody, you got to expect that they're going to play great, that they're going to make shots. Uh, they're going to be ready to play. They're going to play hard. And if you get anything less than that, hey, that's great. But it, but if you expect that, then that's where you get beat. And I think even more so in this league than ever, that it's so even. There's not a whole lot of difference between teams in these games now that if you're not ready to play and or don't play well, then you got a chance to get beat. And now Ohio State's going through the same thing Indiana's going through. They're They're in a losing streak. They're not getting killed. But they're not making enough plays to uh, to get wins. Michigan had that problem earlier in the year. Michigan State went through it a little bit. So this league is going to be a bear this year in terms of that. Uh, uh, that you gotta you gotta be ready to play, or you're gonna you're gonna get a knot on your head. I want to take another moment to thank Brad Van Meter and his team down at State Farm. Give him and his small team of three a call and uh, give him the opportunity to serve you better and give you a great deal on insurance. 515-256-6480 and how important it is in uh, the economy of today to support local. Visit him online, bradvanmeter.com. That's www.bradvanmeter.com or in person at 4229 Fleur Drive down in Des Moines. Gary, if I directed you to 4229 Fleur Drive in Des Moines, could you make it right now? Uh, not without my cell phone. <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, all right. Well, let's. Uh, we, we've got. I want to make one reminder to everybody before we move on to our final caller of the night, and that's uh, Kyle, who's been on hold. Please uh, take a moment to, if you're active on Instagram or Twitter, to uh, give from the Hawkeye of the Storm a follow on either both at from the Hawkeye on Twitter and on Instagram. Exclusive content on Instagram had a video drop today. More exclusive content coming, and regular daily content on Instagram. So uh, if you're following us on Twitter. Be sure to drop a follow on Instagram and, of course, from the Hawkeye of the Storm on Facebook. Some some exclusive content there as well. Uh, let's get to our next caller who's been on hold. Kyle, welcome to the show, sir. How's it going, guys? Hey, Kyle. Well, I just had one quick question for you, Coach Close, because I know you're trying to keep this brief. Um, when you guys were talking about Tony, uh, it just I was kind of thinking about a situation because I watch a lot of NBA basketball um, when I have time to. And... The, the Tony Perkins situation, I know it's not on the same scale, but it almost kind of reminds me of what happened with Russell Westbrook on the Lakers. I don't know if you're kind of familiar with that whole situation. Bit, but, yeah. And not to say that they're the same player, but, you know, they're both probably below average shooters or average shooters at best who rely a lot on aggression, driving the basketball, um, very much confidence and energy based. Um and what they chose to do with him whenever he was, I mean, he struggled mightily last year. He struggled a lot. Uh, what they did with him was they they took him and they put him off the bench. And uh, their new coach this year has basically said, you're not going to start. I'm going to put you in as soon as the other team puts their second unit in. And I'm going to pull out a couple of my main guys. So a lot of times what happens is LeBron plays the first six minutes of the quarter or eight minutes of the quarter. And then Russ comes in and they basically give him the keys to the offense. And they say, look, you're trying to get some confidence back. Just attack as much as you want. You know, try to try not to turn the ball over, but be very, very aggressive because you're in. I mean, he's in with their backups. And that has really rejuvenated his play over the last like couple of months because he was 
basically looked at as the problem uh, there and what caused them to miss the playoffs. And this year, I think his perception is a lot better because I mean, he's just going in and being himself. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what do you think about that? And if that would potentially work for Tony? Well, I think they'll, they'll keep every, anything on the board. I think that's, you know, that's a, that's a good point and maybe a possibility. Um, I, I, you know, I think you can see where I mean, he, he's turned the ball over more than he has done in the past. He, he was always pretty strong with the ball. And, uh, and so that, that's a concern. So I think, I think what you do as a coach is you sit down with him and, Hey, let's, you know, how, how do we figure this out? And, and maybe, maybe Tony would be the type of place, you know what, I, I think I'd like to come off the bench and maybe that would help. So I, I, I probably everything's on the, the table, so to speak. Um, and that's where good communication is really important because they need him. And, um, uh, you know, maybe in the conversation, no, Tony, I, no, give me another shot. I, I'd like, I like, I'm going to start. I want to be out there. And, and, you know, then it may come to the point where, Hey, I, I got to do it for the, for the, for the good of the team. But, communication is is really important then because you don't want to lose them just like you didn't want to lose Sanford. And I'm guessing he communicated well with Peyton say, Hey, you, you know, you're going to come out of this. We just got to, you know, we just got to, we got to fight through it. I, I guarantee there were some callers going, man, they better pull him out of there in the beginning of that half when he was like, you know, I think it was like one for four, one for five and a couple of them didn't, didn't even look close. And then he turns it on a second half. So, um, like I said, I think everything's on the board. I, th- I think you—that's where you communicate, and let's try to figure it out. And and uh, I think Fran does a good job of that. Yeah, it's amazing how quick it's changed. Because like we, I mean, we talked for maybe 10, 15 games about how Peyton needed to have less minutes, and all of a sudden, I mean, he's basically—I I think I could say—he's probably won us the last two games uh, based no on his play. I mean, without yep. him, those two, those are two losses. Yeah, no doubt. To me. No doubt. And we're um, going to need Tony probably before this year's out to step up and make some plays too. So got to keep working with him. Like I said earlier in the show, Tony was phenomenal against Iowa State. He's phenomenal against Seton Hall. Those are two of your quad four, uh, quad one wins right now. Yeah, so right. got to get him. Got got to keep. I just my opinion is you got to do everything you can to instill confidence in Tony Perkins right now. And it's it's a long year. Everybody goes through things like that. You know, it's it's. You very rarely see a guy that's just, you know, playing great all the time. You 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 have bad games. You go through struggles, and that's where the coach has got to have your back. Uh, hey, we we've been down this path before. We can figure this out. So, um, hopefully, that'll be the case with him. Have you uh, have you noticed anything different from him defensively since his shooting struggles? Like, has, that, has his <laughs> um, offense impacted his defense at all? Nothing that really jumps out at me. No. Um, I, I think as a team, they've, they've struggled. Um, I think the zone has, has helped them out a little bit because they don't have the one-on-one stuff they they have with the man-to-man. Um, but I think the big thing that's jumped out at me was the way he's turned the ball over. And that, that's a guy that's probably thinking too much, um, is not, you know, not playing, you know, just relaxed and just let the game come to him. I think he, he's, he's more, it's a little more thinking than, than probably what you would like. So, um, and I, and you know, that's, that's the problem because turnovers can get you beat. So I think that's, I think that's a big reason why he wasn't playing down the stretch is Nixon, Nix was taking care of the ball. He was making shots and, and, uh, it's a, it's a sign of a good coach that can go with the guy that he thinks is going to win. He's and, 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 and quote unquote bench starter. And, uh, they probably don't win that game if, if, uh, Dix doesn't play the amount of minutes he played. 
as well as Sanford. So that's good coaching. Yeah, Josh Dix has turned me into a huge fan between his story and everything he's no been doubt. through and just no the doubt. way that I mean, he, he just plays hard. Yeah, he's yeah, uh, he's he's turned me into a big Smart fan. Player, yeah, yeah, all right, Have a great future. Thanks, all right, in the street. All right, we'll do. Okay. All right, uh, we ran out of time, so I want to quick fire on these final questions here. First of all, comment from Commander Cody. Corey is awesome all the time. Uh, again, only when Iowa wins is. Is that your, is that your cousin? <laughs> actually, it's Cody. I just misspelled my name. It's actually okay. Corey. Um, uh, real quickly, Jeff, uh, Diary Jeff says, "What do you think of the comparison between Peyton Sanford and Joe Wieskamp that the announcers pointed out?" I think there's some similarities. Uh, Joe right now, or Joe did, um, obviously a little more consistent, a little more proven, uh, and a little probably a little more versatile in terms of scoring. But um, there's certainly there's certainly some comparisons there. Yep. Jordan says, "I think ten and ten in conference gets us in personally. Not many good mid majors. <laughs> Twelve are very weak. Big Ten should get their usual nine to ten teams in." Maybe you have a comment on that, Gary, but I will point this out to Jordan. We brought it out after the uh, Eastern Illinois loss. That is a damaging loss. And so maybe 10 and 10 gets you in for a, a Maryland who doesn't have the, that terrible, terrible loss. And then it was a terrible, terrible loss. I, I think maybe 11 and 9 is is the uh, the meter, Gary. Uh, what would 10 and 10 get us overall? Well, let's see. They're eleven and six right now, and they're three and three in the conference. So that would be seven and seven. So that'd be eighteen and thirteen. No, well, no, they're eleven. Let's see, eleven and six. I can't do math right now. Uh, yeah, thirteen. Yeah, you're right. Thirteen losses. Yeah, eighteen and thirteen. They would. They'd be right on the. They'd be on the bubble. I think with that. Yeah. Uh, you know, it depends on where they end up. I'm not sure. I, I don't know if the Big Ten's going to get nine or ten this year. We got two in the top 25 now, um, and some of that'll have to do with if there are any upsets in the leagues that don't have as many bids. Um, but uh, I don't know if we're going to get that many. We might, um, but um, uh, you know, two teams in the top 25 now. It's you know, usually have seven or eight or six, and so that's not quite as strong. But We'll see. That would be a change if, if it's not. So um, I think they got to I think 10 and 10 is probably the probably the bottom of the of the level they need to be. So um, I think anything above that would certainly be better. And uh, Barbara brings out the crowd credit to the crowd that was there. I don't know the announced attendance. Actually, I do know that. Let me find that here. I'm going to say 13 uh, two. No, 11 five. Really? Sounded well, loud. I get the guys, the people who were there were loud. Looked, I thought it looked bigger too. I mean, that, yeah. the student section wasn't there, but no, the crowd definitely got it. The crowd's been into it in all, all these last the game. The last game I went to, the crowd was terrific. So I'm not going to complain about the, the. I've done that enough, Gary. But you just they wish. Keep winning, it'll grow. Hopefully, they'll have a good crowd Sunday. It's Letterman's Day. The Sunday afternoon, they should be out in droves. Students should be back. Uh, so hopefully, it'll be a good crowd. Thomas says that Perkins and Ulysses are dealing with soft tissue issues in their lower extremities. I'm not aware of that. Uh, maybe Fran said that after the game, but last I knew, I know Tony had, I think he dislocated his thumb during the Iowa State game or maybe the Duke game. Uh, I'm not aware of a soft tissue injury. Obviously, those can be hampering for a while, Gary. If, oh, no if, doubt. And we, and, you know, we may not know about them. I, I know Ulysses had an injury earlier in the year 
I think, to his hand. There's nothing worse than having a bad hand when you're trying to shoot so or dribble. So, yeah, that's something we don't know about, and that certainly could be affecting their play. And then uh, Jesse brings up, uh, can't say enough about Rebrach and how much he's improved. And same thing with Kel- Kels Bells. Kelly says, uh, thought Hunter would be dominant. Boy, you give credit. I thought there were some questionable calls against Phillip. He does such a good job defending without fouling against a bigger Hunter Dickinson. And Dickinson was quiet tonight. I know it was Jet Howard's night. But let's give a shout-out to Rebracha on the defensive end. I agree. I, I, I agree. I mean, they played a lot of zone, but – um, they, uh, he didn't, he didn't kill him. And that's, uh, you know, that's, that's what you're worried about. And, uh, go Hawk says, is it true? Iowa leads the country in quad one wins. I think Gary Dolphin, somebody said that Gary Dolphin made a comment about this after the game. Uh, perhaps they do. Le- uh, I think they're right now they've got five, uh, and Clemson's leading the ACC at six and zero. Oh. So they may be another quad one win. It's incredible. And they got one of the few quad four losses, but, uh, those quad ones will help. Um, Johnny Osho, thank you. And Johnny Osho has helped us with the merch. And of course, if anybody's new to the show, we've got uh, from the Hawkeye of the Storm merch. It's available by means of clicking the the uh, link in our description. Uh, exclusive merchandise for from the Hawkeye of the Storm. Um, Gold Star Thrifter, please bring this question back for a future show. We did run out of time today. I knew it would be a busy, busy show. We had 400-some people on today. And he says, uh, I'd love to hear your guys' assessment of the incoming recruits. So we'll talk about that, Gary. Maybe you can provide some thoughts. I know you don't know a ton about uh, uh, maybe Brock Harding. and It's not a ton. I don't know anything. <laughs> I'll be honest. <laughs> okay. Coach has got to be truthful. I know nothing. <laughs> I'll give my assessment. Uh, you know go. a little bit about Cooper Koch, who's coming in. I do know a little bit about Cooper Koch, yeah. So we I haven't seen play, him. but I, his dad was pretty good. Lisa, thank you for the love. Thank you for the support, uh, Lisa. Um, I believe this is Lisa Donlanger, the uh, – Really, if I hope I'm pronouncing your last name correct, Lisa. She's been in our show a lot, and I think she's the uh, Hawkeye violinist. Uh, oh, okay. So appreciate your, your support, Lisa. Um, Lemansky, Corey is awesome most of the time. Miss Gary's birds chirping. We got to bring those back. Yes, we do. That's <laughs> <laughs> the one thing this show is missing tonight, Gary. Um, Circle Herc. Is it true Jess Settles was supposed to be on tonight's show, but YouTube has strict guidelines on scaring young children? Oh. he's always got the jokes is this true though gary was just supposed to know i know he wasn't he was on last night in the last show yeah that was we're gonna get some more on we're gonna get some more on later so stay tuned just so you're aware i had a lot of good feedback we had a lot of good feedback from from jess settles his internet was just you know yeah he's probably out in the middle of boondocks (laughs) or he's not paying his bill or both Exactly. Uh, and final question, uh, Rattler Sports Network. Can we get a, a quick Iowa-Maryland preview? I know you haven't seen a lot of them. What I've seen of them, Gary, was what you saw earlier. They were, I mean, they were winning a lot of games, and they're a team that I don't think many people expected to be an upper half Big Ten team. I know they're 2-3 and three the conference, got killed by US, UCLA, but they're coming off that win against Ohio State. This will be a tricky game back in Carver, but an opportunity for Iowa to get to four straight. When they've struggled, they've struggled scoring. Uh, they've had some real scoring droughts. Uh, hopefully, uh, Iowa can throw them into one of those. Um, but it seems like they've they hit a bad spot and they've played themselves out of it and are probably dangerous. I know they're athletic, play hard, they're well coached. Um, like we said, I, we're, we're going to have to play well to beat them, and we're not going to 
just walk out on the court and beat them. So um, a team that was very good early and struggled and then have seemed to have raided the ship a little bit. Okay, let me throw this banner up for everybody so everybody's aware uh, of the game this coming Sunday. Of course, it tips at 3.30 p.m., um, and the game will be televised on BTN. So, of course, we'll have post-game coverage. And, uh, boy, just momentum builds, Gary. Is you've, you've experienced this as, te- as, as teams continue to win games. Um, it can be a freight train in a good way, right? It can kind of be the Absolutely. snowball effect. And I was one of, if not the hottest teams in, in the country right now. Um, so it's an opportunity to, to grow on momentum. And, uh, you know, these are two tough teams coming up to, to Carver, but they're home games, they're winnable games. And then you go on the road to a struggling Ohio State team. Um, and who knows if they'll be struggling by the time we hit the 21st. Exactly. Yeah, they might be right to ship right as we get there. Yeah, big we should, play them, we should play them tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I uh, want to give everybody some final notes before we say goodnight uh, on the game tonight. The Hawkeyes, of course, rallying for a 93-84 to 84 overtime victory over – the Michigan Wolverines, Wolverines rallying from a 10-point deficit to win their third straight. The Hawkeyes trailing by seven points with 2.18 remaining in regulation. Peyton Sanford with a big and one on the three with, with uh, 20 seconds remaining to force overtime. Chris Murray with 27 points, reaching 20-plus points, a team-best seventh time this season. Murray equaling his career high in three-pointers made with four. Peyton Sanford tallied 24 of his career high, 26 points in the second half in overtime, scoring 20-plus for the second straight game, Sanford drained a career-high three, three, or excuse me, four three-pointers for the second straight game. Of course, he did that against Rutgers on Sunday. Josh Dix netted personal bests in scoring with ten and five. We're talking about five assists. Philip Rebracha totaled thirteen points, twelve boards to notch his team best seventh double-double of the season and fourth in the last five Big Ten games. Iowa matched its season-high in career th- in three-pointers made, sinking twelve for the second consecutive contest. That is an incredible feat when you can keep those numbers up, Gary. The Hawkeyes scored the first eight points of the overtime period, which helped them win this game in the end. The Hawkeyes improved to 7-0 this season when making nine or more three-pointers. That is an important stat. Iowa recorded its first overtime win since uh, 2019. How about that? First overtime win since February 22nd of 2019, Gary. Uh, oh, 76-70 win over Indiana. So we needed to get off the schneid there. They did. Five of the last 12 games against Michigan and Iowa City have been extended to overtime. That is an incredible stat as well. Uh, mm. And they tend to be track meets. I said that before we jumped on here, Gary. It seems like these Iowa-Michigan games and Carver especially, I think back to the Luca Garza era, a lot of track meets. Tonight was the only regular season meeting between the Hawkeyes and the Wolverines, so maybe a rematch in the tournament coming. And, of course, we saw uh, the absence of both the absences of both Patrick McCaffrey and Josh Agundale, uh due to, to separate issues. So uh, we'll look forward to Iowa, Maryland, Sunday, 3.30 p.m. on BTN. That's 3.30 p.m. Central Time. Um, and we'll just try to keep this rolling, Gary. Anything else? Good before we, uh, say goodnight. What a, what, a, what a day to talk about Hawkeye basketball. Yeah, no, uh, really, really impressive. It didn't look good there for a while, but it, uh, they found a way, and and that's what it's all about this time of year. Folks, you can donate to the show by means of the links in the description below. For Coach Gary Close, I'm Corey Bratta. We'll talk to you Sunday as the Hawkeyes take on the Terrapins in Iowa City. Have a great night.